Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot. This is a Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. These questions coming from our Football Insider subscribers. And of course, uh, look, people are really fired up after that win on Sunday over the 49ers. We'll get to some of that. But let's just start here. Eric J. Watts Sr. from Columbus. Pretty straightforward question here. Hey, Mary Kay. What's the current truth about Deshaun Watson's shoulder? You know what? The problem has been just the mixed messages that we've gotten from, uh, you know, from the team, from from everywhere, really, uh, since the very start of this injury. And, you know, even even today, I was trying to sort through another little bit of sort of misinformation that uh, that somebody put out there. So I will tell you exactly what I know and what I think probably is going to happen. Uh, what I do know is this. He's got what's considered a very deep, deep contusion of one of the four rotator cuff muscles. There are four that hold sort of the ball of the shoulder in place. Um, and and there are, so there are four muscles that are involved. And he's got a deep, deep contusion in one of those muscles. Now, we have been told, and it, it really impacts his ability to be able to drive the ball. It is the largest of the four muscles that he has the deep, deep contusion in. So that makes it worse, obviously, than if it were one of the smaller, uh, less important ones. But this one really impacts every movement when he throws the ball. It's why he was not able to, and we know this for a fact, to lift his shoulder when this first happens. Now, how do we know that? Because Andrew Barry told us that during his bye week conference. So he wasn't able to even lift his shoulder at the start of this. And now he's throwing the ball with increasing velocity each day. Last week in practice, they got very encouraged because when he was inside of that building and we couldn't see him, he made a ton of progress and he felt really good. He was waking up the next day without much pain. And he was able to move forward and build upon what he did the day before. So there is some encouragement and there is some significant optimism that he is going to be able to play against the Colts. And I actually now think the more people that I've talked to, uh, you know, now I actually think he probably will play against the Colts. Um, I had talked to someone on, on Friday that, you know, emphasized over and over and over, This is the franchise quarterback of the Cleveland Browns. Exercise caution. Do not let him go out there until he is pain-free and he's throwing the ball normally. And this is a pretty significant contusion that was presenting like a strain. And if it presents like a strain, if it presents like a strain, that sometimes involves little micro tears that might not even necessarily show up on a conventional MRI. You can have a negative MRI, really, you can. Um, Or you can have an MRI that doesn't necessarily pick up these little tiny micro tears. So you do have to go with uh, the threshold of pain. And you do have to have some really good self-reporting from the player to say, I'm totally fine. I feel nothing in there. I have my range of motion. I have my strength. Because this particular muscle that it is, and I don't have the name of it in front of me right now, it's the sub something, the largest one, subscapularis, I think is it's called, um, the largest one in the shoulder, uh, in the rotator cuff family. Uh, you know, it really involves internal rotation, internal rotation of the shoulder. And if you can't do those kinds of things, then you're going to have a hard time 
throwing the football. So he's got to be able to go out there and do his job. He thought he was going to be able to do it. He couldn't do it. And that surprised him and everybody else. So now they've kind of like gone back to, okay, what are the two things he needs to be able to do? Have no pain and be able to throw the ball normally. The tricky part about this, Dan, is the fact that Deshaun Watson wants to play in this football game. He wants to get back out there and he wants to play against the Colts. And supposedly he doesn't have any structural damage. Supposedly uh, there is not anything torn in the shoulder. And that is possible um, that it, you know, that does happen and it is just considered a contusion. Um, But the, the tricky part with this is they're going to really have to rely on him to be gut level honest with them and tell them if he's experiencing pain in the shoulder, because if he is, then you don't want to put him out there because that means there's something still going wrong in there and that maybe it's not torn now, but maybe it's contused enough that it could get torn upon further impact, upon, you know, trying to rip the ball, whatever the case may be. You want to make sure that this contusion is as healed as possible. I think it's trending from everything that I'm now hearing. I think it's trending towards them wanting to put him out there Sunday in Indianapolis. That's the latest information. Um, But nobody would blame anybody if they erred on the side of caution, which they probably should have done with Baker Mayfield in 2021. They really should have. And I wrote a column saying they should have shut him down. Um, You know, they could err on the side of caution and hold him out another week. They could possibly even hold him out two more weeks. It's a two to six week injury. Sunday will be four weeks. I think they're probably going to throw him out there. And if they do that, for everybody's sake, let's hope it goes well. I feel like this is the ultimate example of like winning cures everything. Mm -hmm. It's so much easier to talk about this today than it was last week. And some of that is because more information has come out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Friday night, you had your report kind of uh, kind of laying out everything that was going on. So we just have more information now. But also, like, we're talking about a team that just won a game. <laughs> and had they lost that game, and then you're sitting at two and three, and we're going through this whole song and dance again of will he or won't he? I think everybody was just tired. Like, fans, mm-hmm. I'm sure there were people in the organization who were tired of it. I'm sure players were not in a... I'm sure players like it was wearing on them a little bit, right? Not, not in a bad way. Like, oh, they were angry at Deshaun or something, but like that wears on you when you're in the locker room. They're human beings, um, and I think like this is just the case of winning solves everything. They won a game yesterday with a, a practice squad quarterback starting, and it just feels like we can have a more measured conversation about Deshaun Watson and what this injury is. And some of this was their own making, though, because like you said, they're there were mixed messages or, you know, whatever, like they just didn't do a good job of messaging what this was. And had they come out after that Ravens game and said, Hey, this is what happened. This may be like a multi-week thing instead of saying like, well, it's day to day dated. Like, I don't know. I, I think that would have kind of backed people off a little bit too. Yeah. It takes a little bit of the pressure off of Deshaun to think that, okay, let's let everybody know this is, a pretty serious contusion. This is something where he has to be pain-free. I mean, if you cannot even lift your shoulder on September 24th or 25th, you can't lift your shoulder. I mean, think about that. Four weeks later, you're all of a sudden supposed to be perfectly fine. 
to go out there and throw a football 50 yards. I mean, hopefully it'll work out that way. I know that last week in practice, he got increasingly stronger each day and he had more velocity on the ball and he threw inside that building more than we thought he was doing. Um, And again, as I mentioned, he came through it pretty well, but this is a significant bruise and you're talking about the rotator cuff. Uh, you, You don't really want to mess with the rotator cuff because if you end up with a tear in the rotator cuff and, you know, Pitchers know all about this. You know, this is definitely more of a baseball thing. Um, If you end up with even a partial tear of the rotator cuff, you are probably going to be lost for the season. And nobody needs that and nobody wants that. So apparently there's no structural damage in there and he's trending in the right direction. Let's hope that all works out just exactly how they hope it will. And until we see him throw a football or until Kevin sits there in front of us and says, yes, he's starting against Indianapolis, I'm not going to jump to any conclusions or anything, but it's just that win Sunday just took a lot of stress off of this and just everybody can take a big sigh of relief because I do think part of the frustration too, at least for this fan base is we're how many games into this thing and we've only seen him play nine games like Mm -hmm. in in two and a half not not quite half a season here but um you know I think there was some frustration there from from the fan base as well but um things kind of careened out of control with social media and all that Uh, but everybody can take a big sigh of relief because they beat the 49ers winning solves everything (laughs) yeah and the other thing about this too Dan is the fact that Um, because it happened over the bye week with no other game to talk about, it just took on a life of its own. What else was there really to talk about but Deshaun Watson and his shoulder and his rotator cuff and what happened and what they said about the Ravens game and what they didn't say and what they're going to say. And, you know, the other thing, as we now know, and this is the frustration of trying to cover uh, sports in this social media age, everyone's got a source. Everyone's got a story. Everyone's got a take everyone's got an opinion. And you just, I mean, you really do have to kind of try to block out some of the noise and focus in and not just get all caught up in the insanity that happens over a situation like this nowadays. How different, I feel like we've talked about this a a thousand times. I'm sure our listeners want to hear us talk more about the ins and outs of press conferences, but how, how different, I mean, just how different is it if Kevin or someone, because I thought Alex Van Pelt, actually, he just kind of came out and said it like he's a thrower who can't throw, essentially. (laughs) Um, If Kevin or I guess Andrew sort of said it, but if he would have just said, this is week to week, there's a chance he could play Sunday, but we need to make sure he's healthy so that we don't cause any long term damage. It seems like that would have been so simple to say. So why didn't someone just say that? You know what? I don't know. Here's why. Here's exactly why. Because they messed up the messaging so poorly heading into the Ravens game. And they, you know, everybody was telling everybody that Deshaun was going to play before the Ravens game. And um, and then after that, Kevin Stefanski touched off another firestorm when he said he was medically cleared to play. That was Those were not his words. Those words were put into the question. The question was, was he medically cleared to play? And Kevin said, yes. And, um, and yes, he did take himself, you know, out of the mix that day and said, you know, can't do this. So, you know, that put it on to Deshaun. And so that just created its own crazy set of circumstances. 
And it made it look like Deshaun just was dogging it. And, you know, people want to pile on to, to Deshaun anyways, for reasons we've talked about before. People aren't going to give Deshaun the benefit of the doubt. Just, it's not going to happen. Maybe somewhere down the road it'll happen, but it's too soon for everybody for that. People are still going to pile on to Deshaun and take every little thing and, and magnify it. Um, but the messaging was messed up from the start. And I think it's still messed up to a certain degree. I really do. I still think that you've got um, some messages coming out of the building saying, and definitely coming out of the building, saying that they are at least somewhat optimistic he's playing on Saturday. And then you've got Kevin Stefanski saying, um, no, I'm not saying anything about that. He's day to day. I think Kevin dialed it back so far after that first game against the Ravens that now he's just like, he won't say anything but day to day. He's like so robotic about it. Although he did talk to Jay Glazer over the weekend. And, you know, I, I listened to, uh, you know, Jay Glazer's report yesterday where he was saying, Kevin Stefanski told me that it's the muscle underneath the rotator cuff and it causes him to be able to only throw at 80% instead of 100%. And, you know, it's like a pitcher. You can't go out there if you're only 80%. You have to be 100 So, you know, so on top of everything else, you know, you've got the head coach of the team who will only say to us day to day, talking to members of the national media and giving them details that we are not being provided with. And that's wrong too. Yeah. It's all just a mess. <laughs> and had they lost that game yesterday, it would feel even, even more messy. Um, but yeah, it, it just comes down to messaging. So I guess we'll see. We'll see how, how things go this week. Um, hopefully this will be a moot point by Sunday, but if it's not, let's get to this question from Dennis Blackburn in Tampa, Florida. Hey, Mary Kay. Did Kevin Stefanski start P.J. Walker at quarterback because he didn't want to throw DTR into the fire of San Francisco's defense? And would he reconsider starting the rookie against the Colts? You know what? I I meant to ask him that on the um, on the Zoom today, if he is definitely planning to start P.J. in the event that, um, you know, that Deshaun can't go. But I just kind of let it go because I figured, you know what, it's pretty obvious to me that he was really happy with what he got from PJ just from a game management standpoint. Now, PJ made some very critical errors in that game that almost cost them. The third interception that he almost threw, and he got really, really lucky uh, that it wasn't picked off in the end zone, uh, you know, he made some questionable decisions. But he did enough. He managed the game well enough. And he made a couple big plays to Amari Cooper, the 58-yarder, the 26-yarder. He did enough to not lose the game for them. He did not lose the game for them. He didn't win the game for them, but he didn't lose it for them. And if you look back to DTR's performance, he ended up losing the game for them. So, um, So I think it's more a function of they have a quarterback who's been around a little bit. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's seen a lot. And, um, and it was just that experience. The game is just a little bit slower. And you could see that at times. That the moment wasn't necessarily too big for him. He's just not a super accurate quarterback. And, you know, he made some, some mistakes in terms of where he went with the ball. Yeah, the near interception towards the end almost cost him. The interception that did happen, that got returned to the eight, that obviously nearly cost them as well. But... I, 
I think we just saw what he opened up was the ability to at least push the ball down the field a little bit. And the, the reality is you couldn't go into that game thinking, you know, even though they did have some success running the ball, you couldn't go into that game thinking we're just going to pound the football and protect our quarterback. Cause like that wasn't going to work. You needed to have somebody who at least presented a threat to get the ball to Amari Cooper or someone else, you know, run the screen game efficiently, just do some of those things. So it wasn't great, but at least he gave this offense a chance to function. Yeah. And uh, you know, when you look at the San Francisco 49ers defense, they don't necessarily have good defensive backs or good cornerbacks per se. So the Browns knew they were going to get in some favorable one-on-one matchups that they would be able to get Amari singled up and that they would be able to get the ball to him. And the thing about PJ Walker is that he's got a strong arm. I mean, and he showed that yesterday. He's got, uh, you know, he's got a nice strong arm and he can get the ball downfield. And against a defense like that, you do want to stretch it out a little bit. You know, you can't have them all packed in. They're already the number three run defense in the NFL. Um, but, you know, they were able to take advantage a little bit of some of those matchups, of course, especially with um, with Amari Cooper. And Amari is just sensational. He's just so good at his job. And I think one of the most underappreciated receivers in the NFL. Yeah, I I don't understand it. I don't know why. I, it's probably just because of his personality. He is he's quieter. He you know he's not as flashy as like Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, and, and certainly not Tyree Kill. You're not going to see Amari Cooper grab a guy's phone in the back of the end zone and do a do a backflip after he scores a touchdown. So um, I, I think there's some of that there. But he is absolutely watching him up close. I think we can both speak to this. Watching him up close has been incredible. Which actually. Um, Mike Parker from Chester, Maryland, he ends this question by saying, thank goodness for Amari Cooper. He says, hey, Mary Kay, although the Browns victory yesterday was one for the ages, do you think they need a veteran backup quarterback still? Um, yes, I, I would be out looking for a veteran backup quarterback because um, in this football game, their fifth game of the season, they now have lost the turnover battle five times, um, all five times. They are lucky to have gotten away with it and have a 3-2 record because normally you lose pretty much every game when you lose the turnover battle. And, um, you know, they're, they're lucky to be where they are. And that is largely because of their defense making up for some of those giveaways that they have had. But you can't really go into uh, too many games like this with Dorian Thompson-Robinson and P.J. Walker. Even though PJ did a nice job yesterday against a very tough, stout defense, if you had to play somebody for two games or three games, and hopefully for them, Deshaun will get back and play the rest of the season and the playoffs and win the Super Bowl. Hopefully for them, that's what happens. But there's a chance that somebody else is going to have to step in there at another point this season and, and win you a football game. And I think that should be somebody who has a little bit more experience and is just a little bit better uh, than what they have on the roster right now. I mean, it can't hurt. I mean, you can put PJ back on the practice squad and um, you know, you can carry three quarterbacks if you need to, there, there are ways around it, but I would definitely have another veteran quarterback on the roster. My guess is PJ is going to end up back on the practice squad because that was just an elevation. Now at some point they will have to make a decision on him because you only get three of those. Um, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. So right. um, if he were to have to start against Indy, that would be his last, his last elevation, right? He got elevated yeah. last week too. So um, yep. 
they, they sort of have to think through all of that stuff as well. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, with the trade deadline coming up, um, I think we'll spend a little more time on potential moves they could make um, on tomorrow's pod. We're going to do another Hey Mary Kay segment, but I think backup quarterback should be something that they should just sort of see who's available. See if there's some veteran backup that's eaten up, eaten up some team's cap space that isn't going anywhere. Throw a fifth round pick at them or a fourth round pick or something. You know, throw the Josh, throw, throw the pick you got for Josh Dobbs at them and see what you can get back in return. I, I think there's got to be a way that you can do that without, I, I know they want to save some cap space to kind of kick things down the road a little bit, but there's got to be some wiggle room in there where they can use some of that money to, to bring in a more reliable backup. Yeah. Again, I don't see that it's in the cards. And one of the reasons for that is because they still really like Dorian Thompson Robinson and they think he can still be a good number two this season. They just didn't think he was going to have to get pressed into service so quickly um, before he really had more time to get up to speed and to get acclimated and get some reps Um so I think that, that they still believe that several weeks down the road or a month down the road or whatever, that DTR can become their number two again. They have not given up on him in that regard. But of course, remember, this is going to be Kevin Stefanski's decision. This is not a personnel decision. Who's going to be the number two? That's completely in Kevin's hands. And right now, I think he 100% favors the experience over a very inexperienced rookie. And with this defense as good as it is, you've got to think about like, what if you need a guy to play a half in a, in a playoff game? You know, mm-hmm. like, I mean, we saw it with the Chiefs against the Browns a few years ago. You know, Patrick Mahomes gets hurt. He misses the last 20, 25 minutes of that game. Um, and Chad Henney wasn't great, but he did enough at least to, to help the Chiefs hang on and eventually get to the Super Bowl um, after Mahomes came back. So. You just never know what can happen, and if we're going to start talking playoffs, that's you want to make sure you have a guy that can go in and at least run your offense and, and do what you need him to do if, for some reason, Deshaun Watson had to leave the game. Okay, let's take a break, and then we're going to talk about the other side of the football. And back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot, a Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast, Larry in Wallingford, Connecticut. Hey Mary Kay, is anyone more important to the Browns than Jim Schwartz. That's a big, anyone is a big word there. Wow. That is a big <laughs> word. Um, you know, I think I, I think I'm going to say Deshaun Watson right now because Deshaun Watson is their $230 million investment. And even though Jim Schwartz has brought an amazing fiery brand of defense and he's got these guys playing really, really well together. And it was just exactly what the doctor ordered for this defense. It really is. Uh, I still think that you have to put Deshaun Watson above that because of the investment in the draft picks and the investment in in that fully guaranteed $230 million contract. Um, it wouldn't be easy to go out and find another Jim Schwartz, but you can go out and find another really, really good defensive coordinator who can do the kinds of things uh, that he can do, especially with this talent on defense. I think you could somehow keep it going. Um, but just given the money and the draft pick outlay, I uh, I would have to say Deshaun. Yeah, well, I mean, Jim Schwartz has been incredible. And I think maybe when all is said and done, we'll look back and say he was maybe their most important offseason acquisition. Um, that, I mean, that there's going to be a case to be made for that. But yeah, you're right. I mean, look, Jim Schwartz could move on. 
and you could find someone to run an effective defense with this talent. Uh, that's not to take away from Jim Schwartz. What he's done has been, you know, that's sort of like the Nick Chubb thing. Like Nick Chubb is Nick Chubb. You can still have an effective running game without Nick Chubb. You can still have Mm -hmm. a good defense without Jim Schwartz, but I also don't want to diminish what he's done because when you hear guys talk about him and how, how much fun they're having playing in this defense, you can tell that he has very quickly brought in a culture change on that side of the football. He really has. I mean, he really has. When Miles Garrett is happy and, and Miles Garrett is, you know, singing the praises of the defensive coordinator, you know you're onto something because he's a tough customer. If he doesn't like his defensive coordinator, if he doesn't like what's going on, you know, he, he's not shy about throwing the coordinator under the bus. And, and he definitely is really all about Jim Schwartz and everything that he's doing, just even from a motivational standpoint with these guys, um, just it, it is. It's a tremendous, tremendous culture change, and he's getting the best and the most out of so many guys on this defense, including, I mean, look at how JOK is playing. I mean, JOK is healthy. That helps. But the game that he had yesterday, one of the best games that I've seen him play. He was very active. The lights have really gone on for him in this defense, and I think it's because you know, it's simple. The commands are simple. The assignments are simple. And, you know, we can talk more about that too, but, you know, even just the game plan for yesterday was just such a sound and smart game plan for all the motion and the shifting that those guys were being offered before the snap. Yeah. JOK, you know, we've talked about the linebackers in this defense so much, and I think it's really helped him that it's like, we don't need you to be Fred Warner. We just need you to, to play your role in this defense. And I think every single game, and, and you're right, I think yesterday was his best game, but every single game we see him make a couple of plays in the backfield, right? He just bursts through the line and makes a stop or blows up a screen or something like that. And I think that simplification and this idea of like, again, we don't need you to be Fred Warner. We don't need you to be that type of linebacker. Just We just need you to make plays when the defensive line does their job and the secondary does their job. We just need you to go make the play. Yeah, and I just feel like he's seeing the field, and he's probably seeing the field because he understands the assignment. He understands the game plan. He knows what he's supposed to be doing, and they all do. And that was a huge issue last year. Nobody seemed to know what they were supposed to be doing and when and how. It was not clear to them. And it was just very obvious. There were so many miscommunications. There was infighting. Um, and because they, it just didn't make all that much sense to them. This defense, you know, Jim Schwartz does know what he's doing. He really knows how to coordinate a defense, and um, and he's just got these guys playing out of their minds. Yeah, it's it's, it's been incredible to watch this defense play. Um, so let's uh, move on to this question here from Frosty in Petersburg, Virginia, and this is. This is what San Francisco might have been dealing with a little bit. Hey, Mary Kay, will the Browns have a letdown after their big win? It's a good question. It's a good question. I think, first of all, um, you know, it will depend in part on if Deshaun Watson plays or not. And if he does play, is he going to have to knock off the rust again? Is he going to have, um, you know, the strength in the shoulder to be able to get the job done? Is he going to be able to make it through the game? Uh, you know, these are all things that are kind of unknowns right now. And, um, you know, so I think that has a lot to do with it. 
if a, you know, if a really good defense tries to scheme it up for, you know, for this offense, there are things that you can try to do. Now they are starting to come into their own a little bit and they did change some things up. And we saw that yesterday. They used Kareem Hunt a lot more and he's got his legs underneath him now. And he's used to taking a hit again and he's back into football mode. Now he told me that last night in the locker room, he's like, you know, when I played a couple of weeks ago, I hadn't been hit. I hadn't practiced. I was not in football mode and I'm back in it now. Uh, so I think that's one huge thing that's going to help them absolutely tremendously because when he's going downhill, he's a load to bring down and he can score on the goal line. He's such a good, you know, goal line touchdown scorer. He can score the football. Uh, so I think that's one change that will really help. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't know if they'll have a letdown. I, I don't really know. I mean, it, I, I don't feel one coming on. I think they really believe in themselves and they really believe in, especially in Jim Schwartz. And I think they're starting to really find their way a little bit on offense. Now they've got to get the passing game going, but I don't think we could look at the passing game and just say, oh, it's not working. Deshaun Watson hasn't been out there for the past two games. So would it have progressed and would they have been able to build on what he did in the Titans game? Chances are probably. Um, so I think the passing game will come along. Just don't know if it's going to be this week in Indy. And then the thing to remember that we keep talking about, they are going to be playing five of their next seven games on the road. So they've got to be able to overcome travel. They've got to be able to overcome adversity. They've got to be able to overcome crowd noise. They've, they've got, there's a lot of things that they're going to have to deal with over the next seven weeks. And I, th- I think that Seattle game is going to be a really tough test. I think, mm-hmm. I think that's a good team. Um, I, th- I think, I mean, I think they're good. I haven't watched the Bengals game yet, but it sounds like they played really well in that game for the most part, even though they lost. Um, and we know how difficult of a place Seattle is to play. I think they're a really physical football team too, based on, on what I've kind of watched of them. Um, but going back to the offense, that's a good segue into this question from Shannon in Lake Charles. Uh, hey, Mary Kay, the offense is still unproductive, understanding that PJ was the quarterback. What do you think can be done to improve the game planning? Target tight ends more, develop more of a short passing game, throw to the middle of the field. What can be done to improve it? And I guess, you know, when I, my first instinct when I see this question is sort of what you just talked about. Like, how do we even judge this offense when Dorian Thompson Robinson and PJ Walker are the quarterbacks? Right. I think that once Deshaun gets out there and he's healthy and he can do the things Uh, that he needs to do with that arm, then I think what you're going to see is Elijah Moore more involved in the passing game and on some deeper routes. I think you're going to see David Njoku more involved in the passing game, also on perhaps some deeper routes. Uh, You know, it can't just be the Amari Cooper show. It just, it can't be that. Uh, They've got to learn to spread it around a little bit. You've got to get Donovan Peoples-Jones more involved. Uh, You know, you do have to get Elijah Moore more, more involved. I mean, At this point, still through five games, they still only have one touchdown pass to a receiver, and that's Amari Cooper through five games. And, I mean, would we have ever predicted that heading into the season? No. But when you play three quarterbacks in five games, you know, that's a function of that. So I I think that there's, you know, still an explosive offense to be had here. It's just kind of a matter of when it's going to happen. Is Deshaun going to come right back from this rotator cuff injury? And, and build on what he did in the Titans game? 
or did he take a couple steps back and he's going to have to knock off the rust again and build back up to that? Yeah. And so like we talk about it, we talked about it a little bit with San Francisco, right? Over the course of that game yesterday, they lost Debo Samuel for the game. They lost Christian McCaffrey. Trent Williams got hurt. He was playing hurt. And that did change their offense a little bit. With the Browns, Nick Chubb is out for the year. Jack Conklin is out for the year. Deshaun Watson hasn't played the last two games. Joel Batonio was out of that game. Like that stuff disrupts your offense when you lose key players like that. And so I think there's an element of that too, beyond just not having your quarterback. Like, you know, you've got a rookie starting at right tackle. who's done a great job so far, obviously, but he's still a rookie. You're trying to figure out this run game with Jerome Ford and Kareem Hunt fresh off the street. Like there's, there's still a lot that they're kind of figuring out on the fly too, on top of not having their starting quarterback. Yeah. And you know what yesterday showed me a little bit is that when you lose really key players like that, in game and you have been practicing all week with those players with Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey remember when Joel Batonio said they panicked against the uh the Pittsburgh Steelers when Nick Chubb went out and they just kind of got rattled and they panicked a little bit um especially while there was an interception on the you know on the first play and then Nick goes out so there was an element of panic in that game and um and I felt the same way with the 49ers. It was the first time that it seemed like, like Brock Purdy didn't have an answer for anything because he did not have, uh, you know, the guys that he's used to having. And I don't think he necessarily handled it all that well. Um, I, I think he, I think he panicked a little bit and I mean, it's hard not to panic against this Browns defense because you've got to play really fast. The San Francisco 49ers and the Cleveland Browns, they boast the two fastest defenses in the NFL right now. You've got to be able to play really fast. And until somebody finds an antidote to the speed that that these that the Cleveland Browns defense brings, it's going to be really hard for any offense to function against them. I mean, you know, the it you look back to that Ravens game and it makes it even more remarkable that Todd Munkin was able to pull off what he was able to pull off against this Cleveland Browns defense. Uh, and I think some of it had to do with the fact that DTR threw the three interceptions, uh, you know, two in, in, you know, still not just in garbage time. And those had a profound impact on the game and really hurt the defense. And 14 points came off of two of those interceptions. Um, so it wasn't as bad of a, a defensive performance as it might seem at first glance. But I do think that it's it's going to be hard for a football team to <laughs> – to make hay against this offense, to score points against, I mean, this defense, I mean, my goodness, I mean, the 49ers, they couldn't do anything. You know, I think that they probably would have been better if Debo Samuel had been out there and Christian McCaffrey would have been out there, but it still wouldn't have been easy for them. I mean, this is a one hell of a defense. Yeah. I think it's just, again, this kind of answers the Deshaun Watson part of this question too. Like part of what made the Ravens so effective is they have Lamar Jackson. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's just such a game changer when you have like a superhero at quarterback. And I like Brock Purdy. I think Brock Purdy is, you know, he gets, he he gets a lot of crap from people sometimes. Is he just a game manager? Is he as good as, you know, everybody thinks he's, I think he's a good quarterback. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's like Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, Mahomes is in his own category, but I, I don't think he's that class of quarterback. When you have that class of quarterback, it gives you a chance against a defense like the Browns at least. You know what? We we will not see this during 
during the regular season. But the matchup, I want to see at some point. And I know you know exactly what I'm going to say here, probably. I would like to see the Cleveland Browns defense against the Miami Dolphins offense. Mm -hmm. Because you're talking about lightning speed on lightning speed. And if anybody could try to figure out what the heck to do with this defense, it would possibly be Mike McDaniel, former Browns receivers coach, and that speedy offense. Other than that, I don't see very many offenses in the NFL that are going to be able to do very much against this defense. Yeah, that's one That's one offense that has, um, you know, again, again, I like Tua, but he's not that class of quarterback. Just, I mean, maybe I mean, he might win the MVP, so that may, maybe sounds stupid. I don't view him as like I do Josh Allen and Mahomes and all those guys, but I, I do like him. But that's a team that has so many weapons and so much speed and like just so it causes you so many problems on the outside. That would be a really, really fun matchup to watch for sure. Like Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and um, just all those guys going against this Brown secondary. There would be a lot of trash talk in that game, too. Oh, there yeah. are a lot of talkers among those receivers and, and those defensive backs. There would be a lot of talk in that game. That would be a great AFC championship game, don't you think? Yes. That would also be a great game to be the guy in charge of the mic'd up who has to edit all the <laughs> mic'd up stuff and cut out what we're not allowed to hear. That, that would be a, a fun time to have that job. Yeah, it really would. Because one thing <laughs> our, we are finding out about this Browns defense is they really like uh, to mix it up. They like to have something to get mad about. They like to play with a bee in their bonnet. They like to get themselves all fired up like they did yesterday. And sometimes I wonder if if it isn't there, if they're going to try to manufacture it and make it happen, you know, make it up if it's not there. Because when this team, when this team gets ornery, watch out. Uh, I want to do two more. I want to get to this one uh, because it's a Kevin Stefanski question. Talk a little bit about him. This comes from someone who identified themselves as a skeptical fan in Westlake. Uh, hey, Mary Kay. As Nick Saban said after an Alabama lucky win, I'm going to take this texture sword for it. We beat the team, but we didn't win the game. Should the out-coach Stefanski have said that after 60 minutes of play when the score did not reflect the game? Now, I don't want to pile onto this texture, but I actually disagree that the score didn't reflect the game. I understand if that field goal goes in, San Francisco wins, but I didn't watch that game feeling like the Browns didn't deserve to win that game. I didn't feel like the outcome was some kind of like, Oh man, Browns got lucky. And I mean, they did get a little lucky with the misfield, but you know what I mean? Like I felt like they earned that win. Yes. It was a very, very hard fought game. Now, of course, as we all know in the NFL, it's a 60 minute game. It's not a a 58 minute game. It's not a 57 minute game. It's not that it's a 60 minute game. So had he made that kick, they would have deserved to lose the game, even though they played their hearts out and they fought like crazy and they gave them everything that they could possibly handle. Um, You know, if you don't do what you're supposed to do at the end, then, um, you know, then you deserve to, you know, you deserve what you get. And, but I certainly don't come away from that game thinking that, oh, they just got lucky. No way. I mean, there's no way they would have even been in the game if their defense had not played lights out over and over and over again 
down for down. So many great defensive performances in that game. We talked about JOK. You had Martin Emerson's pick. Of course, he had a costly passive interference uh, call against him on the final drive. You can't be doing that. Um, I did not like that they lost their cool on the opening drive. I mean, that could cost you the game right there. I mean, the, the difference in this game was a couple of missed field goals and uh, especially one missed field goal. And, um, you know, you can't be going out there and committing 15-yard penalties on the opening drive just because you are so amped up about, you know, things that happened in pregame and what you think this team feels about you and whatnot. You've got to stay within yourself. And so these are some things that we would be talking about. If the kick had gone through the uprights, if the 41-yarder had gone through the uprights, we would have been talking about uh, how – you know, the Browns did, didn't do some things they could have done late in the game, how the defense gave up a, a couple of plays they shouldn't have given up, a penalty they shouldn't have given up, and, um, and how they, in the beginning, lost their, their heads a bit and gave up a touchdown that they shouldn't have given up. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a better way to put it, too, is like, I mean, we've all watched plenty of football games where you're, you're sitting there watching the game and if there wasn't a score bug on the bottom, you'd think a team was up by 30 points. But instead, they've kicked a couple field goals. And even though they've dominated time of possession, they're up like six to nothing at halftime. This didn't feel like that. This felt like a game that either team could win throughout. Like, I never felt like, oh, man, the Browns are lucky to be in this game. I Again, luck went their way at the end, but I, they kind of earned that. They kind of earned that opportunity for that one lucky break to go their way and for them to win that game. Yeah, they did. Because by rights, who thought they would even be in this game? I didn't think that it was going to be close. I didn't think it was going to be close because I thought that the San Francisco defense was going to rise to the occasion and basically completely shut down the offense. I I, I, I thought they were going to get more takeaways, more sacks. I, I thought it was going to be a very dominant, dominant performance uh, by the San Francisco 49ers defense to the point where I felt that they would probably even score a touchdown or two. I thought that's, uh, you know, that's how it was going to go. And, you know, sometimes it's who wants it more. Sometimes it's who can get themselves fired up for the game more. And the Browns were more fired up for this game. And they can really get their game faces on when they're at home. I mean, they really can. And like I said, even if it, even if they have to do it with a little pregame scuffle, then, you know, they're going to do it however they have to do it because they, they play better when, when they're emotional, you know, it, it puts them up over the top. You know, when you've got two really good teams facing each other, sometimes it is just going to come down to that emotion and who wants it more. And I thought that that game was, you know, a lot of that for the Browns. And, and just to the other part of this, I actually thought Kevin coached a, a good game. I thought the game mm-hmm. plan, again, that offense worked with P.J. Walker at quarterback. And I think that's that says you have to give credit to the play caller when that happens. When when the offense works with a practice squad quarterback, um, that I mean, that's a credit to the play caller and the guy who got this game plan ready. So Kevin and Alex Sam Pelt did a nice job there. I'm sure there's some things we could nitpick through the game, but I, for the most part, I thought Kevin coached a pretty good game. Yeah, I mean, you know, the play call to spring Kareem Hunt for the 16-yard touchdown, that was a really nice play call. You know, we see those things happen sometimes in practice on Fridays. And, um, you know, we're, we're not allowed to talk about them. We're not allowed to film those kinds of things. But we see some of those cool goal line things 
um, that go on on Friday afternoons. And, and that was a good one. And it was executed really well. And, and that was, you know, that was a nice, creative, creative play. And they've got, they've got a lot of those in their bag of tricks. Uh, so that was good. And, um, you know, there's so many different things that they can do with the weapons on this offense. And I, they haven't even scratched the surface yet because, again, with Deshaun Watson being out. But I did think it was a good game plan. From a defensive standpoint, they did not get foiled or tricked or locked into all the motion. They just did their thing. They just stuck with their man, played 70% man-to-man in the back end. And they they just didn't, you know, they just didn't let the the motion or the shifting impact them hardly at all. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, they attacked the inferior corners, got Amari singled up um, with lesser defensive backs, Ward. I mean, he's better than Ward. I mean, he just beat him several times. Um, so, yeah, I think they took advantage of the, the 49ers' weaknesses to a degree and played to their own strengths. I thought it was a good game plan. Okay, one more. This is kind of a fun one from Paxton Styles in Chevrolet, Maryland, currently in Vegas, our buddy Paxton. Uh, hey, Mary Kay, did you, Dan, Ashley, and I really lose your minds like the rest of the stadium did when that kick got missed? What a good game to witness. Uh, I will say that we are always losing our minds at the ends of games, not in the way that fans are. Obviously, we've got to be a little more under control and more objective. But um, in a game like that, we are definitely losing our minds at the end because we've got to get those stories written. I had two columns going at once. You're working on the gamer, all of that stuff. But I do think there's, you know, that game was one of those things where it was like, you just know, like we go into these games, we obviously we make predictions where sometimes we're confident in them. Sometimes we're not, but we, we make predictions every week. We think we have an idea of what's going to happen, but there is a reality like every Sunday when I'm, you know, if we're on the road, when I'm going to the stadium or for at home, I get in my car. I'm like, what is going to happen today? Like <laughs> no idea. And then you witness a game like that. It's, it's pretty wild. Yeah, it is. And the funny part about yesterday was Ashley turned to me right before he made the kick right before he lined up for the kick. And she said, he's going to push this one wide, right? That is exactly what she said. I, and happen, you know, I happened to hear that. I said a couple seats down from you guys, but I happened to hear that. Did you hear her say yeah. that? Yeah, I did. So we have a witness. She said that to me. And you know what? I thought he was going to make it. I mean, I thought when they got that ball to the 23, I'm like, of course he's making this kick. I mean, he's their kicker. They drafted him in the third round. He's going to make this kick. It's a 41 yard field goal. Of course, he's going to make this. And wow, he missed it. And um, I have to go back and watch it again. But I guess Denzel applied applied some really nice pressure and may have gotten in his head a little bit. I don't know. I'd have to see that again. But yeah, he came he came ripping around the edge. um, And Denzel has blocked some kicks in his career. Like he's so fast around that edge sometimes. Like he's one of the guys that I'm sure the special teams coordinators like watch watch 21. So I'm sure he did affect that kick. Yes. So, um, you know, good for them, uh, because that's, you know, that's a little bit more than just luck, right? That, that's, that's more than luck if you're affecting the kick and making the kicker miss that. But I thought, you know, once he got it to the 23, I was like, oh, they're losing this game. <laughs> they're losing this game. Um, but yeah, we go crazy for a little bit of a, you know, a different reason at the end of the game, because we are expected to have something up right when the game ends. And that's a very difficult thing to do when it's, very back and forth and you don't know who's going to win 
or who's going to lose until the final play of the game. It can get very tricky. Yeah, it's chaotic. But I will say, like, even though, again, we're not like cheering, we're not, we're not, we can't be fans, but like, we do have like reactions just watching the game, like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. Or like, Mm -hmm. like, we do have those sort of emotional reactions when crazy things happen or when a game comes down to a kick and you, you think maybe everybody except Ashley thinks he's going to make it. And the next, you know, and from our angle, we can't see, right. We're just watching the refs. We're hearing the crowd reaction. And then it it clicks like, wait, he missed that. Like, okay, the Browns, it's, yeah, it's, it's very chaotic. Well, it's just unbelievable too, because like we were saying last night, it changes that one thing, that one thing in the game, that missed kick changes. It can change the whole entire course of an NFL season. Okay. That missed kick could, who knows, it could be the difference between the Browns getting into the playoffs or the Browns not getting into the playoffs, right? I mean, it that kick, I mean, it probably won't have as much of an impact on the 49ers season as it will on the Browns. That was a very big victory for the Browns. There's a huge difference for them from three and two to two and three in this very tight AFC North race that they're in. Every single game is going to count so much all the way down to the end. And for them to to be above 500 right now, again, with losing the turnover battle every single week um, and being without their their quarterback for two weeks, uh, it's pretty remarkable. But it's just amazing how the narrative changed just on a dime like that. I mean, even San Francisco, though, like now you've got three, five and one teams in the NFC because Philly lost yesterday, too. Like, I don't know. What if San Francisco suddenly has to go to Detroit for the NFC championship game, right? True. Like, no, you're right. You're right. That could or, make a or difference. Or Philadelphia, which is one of the toughest places to play. I mean, you just never know how things are going to play out. No, you never know. Um, and, and those games, wow. It, it's, it's really, really incredible. And a lot of times things do even out over the course of a season. But one thing I've come to find out over the years is that if you're going to get where you're going and where you want to go, you have to have some luck. You absolutely have to have some luck. And they got a little bit lucky at the end of that game yesterday. And that's fine because that's absolutely what you need to succeed in the NFL sometimes. At the end, it doesn't matter how it looks. At the end of Mm -mm. the year, they just count up the wins. That's all all that matters. And the Browns got one here. Okay, uh, we're going to come back with a, another Hey Mary Kay on Tuesday. We're also going to have Lance, I guess I should say Wednesday, we're recording this Monday. Um, we're going to come back with another Hey Mary Kay segment, so some questions we didn't get to. We're going to do that on our Wednesday pod, along with Lance Reisland, who told us from the start of last week he felt like the Browns could win that game. So Lance will get to come on and do his victory laps uh, as well. So just make sure you subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, just search Orange or Brown Talk. You can search Orange or Brown Talk on Instagram to find us there. And go to YouTube and search Cleveland Browns on Cleveland.com to find us on YouTube. Football Insiders, where these questions came from. It's the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up for that. Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds great.